One of the reasons that we gather on Sunday morning is to remember the life to which we're called. We gather at this table to remember the great sacrifice of Jesus that gives us this life. Sometimes there's confusion about life and happiness. We sort of equate the two where we want to equate the two. If you're really alive, you're, you're happy. In fact, when, when you're the most uh, happy, I think, or the happiest, a lot of times you would say, I just feel so alive. And when you're not happy, you just don't feel alive at all. This past week's Newsweek magazine featured an article by Julia Baird about the state of happiness in America. Baird pointed out that while we obsess more about happiness than ever before with Oprah and the like and the, and the self-help books and the, and the get-rich-quick books by the hundreds, we are about as unhappy as we've ever been in America. All the surveys indicate that we're not happy at all, even though we've achieved some of those goals that had promised soul satisfaction. We've gotten there. We've read the books. We've done it. And still, we're unhappy. Our values are are misplaced and our focus has become extremely self-serving in the pursuit of personal fulfillment. Our definitions of success, purpose, and meaning are far different today than they were just a few generations ago. And not surprisingly, biblical principles have far less to say now than they did back then about happiness and about what American society thinks is important. We have redefined much of life's moral foundation and the resulting cracks are making our footing unsteady. We talked about that last week or or the week before that if we're going to have steady footing, it has to be on a solid foundation. The foundation, if you've ever been in an earthquake you felt that ground starting to move a little bit, and you've known the difficulty of living life without a steady ground but beneath you. The church, of course, has an opportunity to model God's principles for living and loving, but unfortunately, the world seems to be having a far greater impact on us than we are having on the world. It's the exact opposite of the way that it should be. And I'm not just talking about the decline of Christianity in America. I'm talking about our... Impact on our community. The local church and the impact it should have on the community is just not there. It shouldn't be that way. We've seen these first two Sundays in our study of 1 Peter that those of us who acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior have been called in out of this world into intimate relationship with the triune God. The salvation and the confident expectation that we have of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading are given as the basis for God's call on our lives to be holy, just as He is holy. That's what we've seen in the first 21 verses of First Peter. This morning we're going to begin in First Peter 1.22 and go through the third verse of the second chapter. Actually, this will be part one of our examination of this particular text. There's a dual focus here on our love for the brothers and sisters in the community and on the way that Scripture informs the way that we're to treat one another. And that's going to just take two weeks to absorb, especially since we have uh, communion this morning. 
Thus far in First Peter, the emphasis has been on the blessings and expectations of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how we are individually connected to Him. Much of First Peter has to do with our interaction with those outside of the church, which is pretty unusual for a New Testament church. Most of the, I mean, letter, New Testament letter to the churches, most of the New Testament letters to the churches talk about who we are in Jesus, and then they, as, as far as application, it's how to get along with one another in the body and to live pure lives before the Lord. And we're going to talk about that this morning as far as our community involvement. But then Peter very soon launches into a long section on how we're to interact with those who are outside the body of Christ. The the focus on loving one another and getting along with one another in 1 Peter is rather brief, but it's no less powerful than those books that take a lot more time doing so. As we read our text in, in just a moment, look for the correlation between loving the brothers and Scripture and how those that one informs the other. We take our instruction from God's Word, not from Oprah or anything society is saying today, as difficult as that is, because we are impacted. We are influenced. I was praying about that on the way over here. Lord, I'm I'm just too influenced by this world. This is where our instruction is found. So let's stand, if you would, and we'll read 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 22 and then go through verse 3. Of chapter 2. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that it may grow up in the south, that you may grow up in the salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Father, we have tasted and we acknowledge That you are so good. We recognize that your love was shown to us in giving us your son, Jesus. We recognize the love of Christ that we remember, that we celebrate. And even, Lord, the body and blood in which we participate, as we're told. 1 Corinthians 10, this morning, as we come to the table. Father, that love that you have given so freely to us, now you expect us to give freely to one another. And and that's just not our natural state. So we pray that you would convict us, Lord, with your word, but encourage us also to love and build one another up. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, everybody wants love. All we need is love. I mean, the Beatles said it a long time ago, and we all agree with that. I mean, we all want somebody to love us, to care about us. When nobody else does, or when everything is going against us, we need somebody to love us. The New Testament talks a great deal 
about love. And, 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 and usually when we think about love, our first thought is our family, our spouse, our children, our parents, our brothers, sisters, those that we're specially close to. Those are the ones we think about first of all. When we think about love and, and, and certainly the New Testament deals with our relationships within the family, but it, most of the time, the love of which it speaks refers to the to the larger family, the broader family of God in the church. Now, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say, you know, it's this family here, the family at church is closer to me than my own blood relatives. I feel closer to them than I do my own kin. And if you are in a family that has very few believers. You're one of the very few people that have trusted Jesus as your Savior. And especially if those, if those family members are hostile to you or certainly to your commitment to Jesus, then I understand why you would say it's this family that really means so much to me. Sometimes love in our churches, uh, church family is quite natural and it's easy. Some of you have seen the love of God expressed to you in amazing ways by this family. And sometimes it's just easy to love people. Sometimes it's not. We're going to talk about that today. Peter begins this new section of his letters by saying, Since you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, love one another. What does he mean? What's he talking about when he's saying obedience to the truth? I mean, it would seem at first glance that he means it when, that since we're growing spiritually as we are obeying God's word, then it just would quite naturally follow to love one another. It may be indeed part of what Peter is saying, but there's more. The Greek sheds a little bit more light than our English translation uh, shows us about what is being said here. Having purified is a perfect active participle, which probably means very little to you. In the Greek, he's, he's saying, since you have been purified. In the Greek, uh, a, a verb in the perfect tense or, an, uh, or a participle that is perfect indicates an action that was completed a while back but has impact to today. It's like when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, it is finished. He used a, a perfect verb to tell us that, to be specific. And that... That verb, actually, it's what the writer said. He may have actually been talking in, in Aramaic, but, but it's very specifically written in the Greek uh, so that we will understand what Jesus was saying. He was saying, my work of salvation or redemption, my ransoming those who are lost through my death ha- is finished. It is completed. And when we trust Jesus Christ, it's an action that was completed in the past that has impact to today. Jesus' death was completed way back then, and he accomplished what God intended for him to accomplish, as we read about all through the book of Hebrews, all through the New Testament, but specifically in the book of Hebrews. It's so clear what Jesus did in becoming the perfect sacrifice for us. And when he said it's done, it was completed. But it still has ripple effects to today. And that's what... Peter is saying, he said, having purified your souls through obedience. And basically he's saying, probably what he's saying is, because you have been saved, because you believed, you obeyed God and believed Jesus as he called you, which was made very clear in those first 21 verses that we read and will be made clear again. He called you, you believed, now love one another. 
Well, it's also possible, though, in using this precise language that Peter intended to say that in addition to our salvation, we are growing spiritually as we respond to God's word in obedience. Either way, the result should be a sincere brotherly love, a love that is passionate. Did you read through the book of First Peter this week? Did you read through the entire book? Uh, if you did, did you pick up on the emotional language that is in this book? Love one another earnestly. It is to be a sincere love. We've already talked about, Peter's already talked about a faith that is precious. And the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of emotional language in the book of First Peter. And you would expect that. Peter was an emotional guy. He was, but he was expressing the heart of gratitude that God had done so much for him. Peter's language gives us a glimpse of what is, uh, or, or excuse me, the New Testament, the, the English translation uh, of, of Peter's uh, letter gives us a glimpse of what is seen much more clearly in the Greek and in the Old Testament scriptures to which he refers. He goes back and we see something there that we don't see quite as well in the English, and that is that there's an urgency about what Peter is saying. I, I haven't tried to hide the fact that the last several years have been years of great suffering for me. It's frankly, I'm certain one of the reasons that we're in First Peter. What an encouragement this book is to me already. And I know that I'm not the only one suffering. In fact, anytime, anytime it seems like I preach on suffering, somebody comes and says, you preach that just for me. The Lord led you to preach that just for me because we all suffer. We all struggle. And one of the temptations when we suffer is to respond with dullness. Now, initially, we're all excited and we're, we're, we're working hard to manage our troubles. But after a while, when the troubles just keep on coming and keep on coming, the tendency and the temptation is to go numb. And then, if you're not careful, you'll be paralyzed. And you're just dull. And God's saying, no, don't live that way. Don't submit to the pain in that way. Don't just look at life and just say, well, whatever. Because that's the temptation. Whatever. Oh yeah, here's another thing. Well, I should have expected it. Don't act like that. It's urgent that we live our lives according to God's design. Even when we suffer. In fact, the suffering is a part of His design. It's part of life. This particular text doesn't specifically, the verses that we've read today mention uh, suffering, but suffering casts its shadow over the entire letter. That doesn't mean that, that the shadow of suffering has to have the final say, though, in our lives. In fact, it's urgent that we not submit to external forces that seek to distract us from God's plan for our lives. And God's plan in this passage and all over the New Testament is that we love one another sincerely and earnestly. And that's significant because, you know, apart from the physical things that come up, almost all of our suffering has to do with other people. And somehow other people are connected with our suffering, except for that. If you get cancer, that's a different thing. But apart from that, 
And, and then even when you get sick, there are all kinds of issues with other people. So it's appropriate that he talks as, as, as forcefully as he does about love. We're going to look at love in the beginning of verses 22 and 23. Um, and we're going to see that, that God says that we are to love one another because of our salvation in Jesus. We have been born again and we're no longer instructed by the world, but by God's word. We'll come back to verses 23 to 25 next week where we talk about the word. And Sean is going to spend some time next week talking about the importance of of the Old Testament, as we read the New Testament, you would be stunned at know how, to know how much of the New Testament is just simply restating what was said in the Old Testament or alluding to the Old Testament. There's a lot in here that Peter quotes, but there's a whole lot more to which Peter, in which Peter is alluding to verses in the Old Testament. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But for this morning, we're going to skip over uh, the rest of these verses in chapter one and and go to chapter 2, in addition to verse 22, to talk about loving one another. Love one another earnestly. Is that the way we do it, Grace? My, my goodness, at most churches, it, you would think the, the command said, love one another barely. Uh, until someone does you wrong, then all is fair in love and war in church. God issues an urgent call to love one another deeply, earnestly, and to be sincere about it. We're not to seek our own happiness, but rather we're to follow a 1 Corinthians 13 way of loving others by thinking of them much more highly than we think of ourselves. In in chapter 2, verse 1, we're told to put away certain attitudes. The, The analogy here that Peter was using was, It was a word that was used for like taking off clothes, taking off dirty clothes. He's basically saying, just, just shed yourself of this kind of, these kinds of attitudes that tempt us. Love one another deeply. In verse two, one, he says, so put away all malice. First of all, all malice. No malice is allowed. In other words, no ill intent or wrong actions toward your brothers and sisters in the body. It's amazing how quickly we can be upset with somebody else, isn't it? I mean, they cut us off in traffic. You know, somebody speeds up and comes around you and cuts you off and they start taking off and we start trying to catch them. I don't know what we're going to do, you know. But you're just like, like, hey, hey, you can't do that to me. Well, throw off. All malice, such attitudes and actions destroy love and very much have the potential to destroy the local church when we treat one another with malice. It can destroy us. The sins listed in this verse tear at the fabric of community. We're woven together. God weaves us together. And malice when we treat one another with evil or ill intent, begins to tear at that fabric. Love holds the community together, especially in times of suffering. But suffering are the very times that that, that we're tempted to be torn apart because we become so inward focused. And then somebody doesn't respond in the right way or doesn't do the right thing and we're all offended. 
And we're all upset. Put away deceit, Peter says. He's referring to an attitude that seeks to get the best of someone else through deceitful means. It's akin to, to baiting a hook to catch fish. It is essentially being two-faced. Hypocrisy, much like deceitfulness, is the opposite of sincerity. It says one thing, but the heart means in something entirely different. What if we just said whatever comes to our mind? I mean, that my, my father's doing that. He's, he's got dementia. His brain's not functioning. He just says whatever comes to his mind, and it's not just his mind is not right. And so some of the things that he says are just... They're, They're just heartbreaking. They're heart-wrenching. But I think it would be the same with us being in our right mind. If we just said whatever comes to our mind, wouldn't that be awful? Just one day this week. Just pick a day. Let's do tomorrow because we'll forget it otherwise. And just anything that comes out of your mouth or anything that comes into your mind, say, what if I had to say that? Wow. Wow. How many people say they don't go to church because of the hypocrites in the church? Now, we get defensive, and understandably so, about that assessment. You know, we say things like, well, I'd rather go to heaven with the hypocrites than to hell with the hypocrites. Hypocrites are everywhere, you know. I mean, we we, we, we rightly point out that we're all, we all struggle with, with being who we say we are. But it must be a problem in the church because Peter says, don't, don't allow yourselves to be in that place. Throw it off. Throw it out of the church. Envy has to go. Envy is a cancer that is found in almost every organization in society. But the church is not every organization. It is a living entity, an organism, as we say. We'll learn in a couple of weeks that we're living stones Living stones in a spiritual house. Envy is not only jealous of what others have, whether it is material possessions or position or recognition or influence in the body, but envy will go so far as to wish for the downfall of the, of the object of one's envy. Not only do we wish we had what that person had, but we're delighted when they fall. What is it? That's just sick, isn't it? We talk about how disgusted we are about all the news shows that uh, the the cable network news is, and even even the network news shows that 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 show the the fall of certain individuals. But why do you think they show them? Because we watch. How horrible when envy gets into the body. After envy, it won't be long before slander comes in. Peter says to get rid of every kind of slander. Slander is what you think it is. It's running another person down. I mean, it usually occurs behind someone's back and often includes an assault on someone's character. Whether it is very obvious in what's being said, whether it's a direct assault or a subtle implication about the other person. What's the antidote for all of this poison found within us all? A sincere love. A love that you're not going to be able to work up. It's going to have to come from God. 
And the instruction for it is found in His Word. It's more than a self-help kind of instruction though. Scripture contains the very words of life. These are living words. Next week we're going to make the connection between the Word and, and love for one another. Looking at the same text. But since we have communion, it's just not enough time to do justice to that connection. Uh, nor is there time to make important application about how God's Word has to be an integral part of our lives. We're going to do that next week, though. So let's conclude our time talking about the absolute necessity of loving one another. You know, I'm sure if you've read through the book of First Peter uh, several times, you've picked up on certain themes that are repeated throughout this book. Uh, if you've read through the New Testament much, you've seen the same thing. There are certain themes that, that you find over and over in New Testament. And if you will look for it, and probably you'll find it without looking intentionally for it, you will be surprised at how much importance the, the, the place of loving one another is given in Scripture. Jesus said that the world will know we are His followers. By our love for one another. Paul said things like, above all these, in fact, almost all the time you see love, you're seeing something like that. Above everything else, this is the one that binds them all together. Love is, is, is the goal and then everything else flows from that. Above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. John said, anyone who does not love, and he's talking about love for brothers and sisters, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Peter said in our text to love one another with a sincere and earnest love, and later he will say, above all, above all, there you go again, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, you're going to need to be loving people because they're going to do you wrong. They're going to make you mad, get you upset. And love covers sins. It covers those wrongs that are done to you. It looks past them. Now, of course, there's a place for confrontation. Of course, there's a place for church discipline. But most of the time, love is going to do its best to get along. Because if you're thinking more about the other person than you are yourself, you're not going to take things as personally. You're not going to be so easily offended and, which of course exacerbates the whole problem. And you're really not in a position much to help someone if you're all upset with them. Love gets you beyond that so that you can say, let's take a look at this. This, this is just not helpful. What you're doing. It's instructive that uh, much of what we're told about love is from a negative standpoint, as in what not to do. <laughs> we saw that today in 1 Peter 2.1 about putting away malice, envy, and slander. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is, is pretty tough. It tells us that love doesn't seek its own good. It's not jealous. It's not proud. True love for others, in fact, requires that we die to ourselves. I mean, do you see how different that is when day in and day out we're told to seek personal fulfillment and pamper ourselves? Love is difficult. There's no doubt about it. 
It's not easy. Those of you who have been married two, three, four years, you realize that. You thought it was going to be. It's not easy. It's work. And it's a commitment to the betterment of the other person. The love of Jesus is a supernatural, eternal love. Not only the love that He showed us, but the love that He instills in us that enables us to love one another. And basically, if the love of Jesus is shining through me, then I'm loving you like I'm supposed to, like Scripture says. If it's not then chances are good I am not. Now, we're made in the image of God. We, we know there's certain stuff in Scripture, and, it's, and, and certainly it's better to, to act right toward a person, even if we don't feel like it, than it is to not act right. But if, we're not, if the love of Jesus is not coming through us, chances are good we're just not loving like we're called to love. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us would... I think, or many of us, I should say, would be forced to admit that our love is spent mostly on ourselves and on our family. Look around you. Not not literally, but I want you to just think about your brothers and sisters here at, here at Grace Community Church. Do you love them? Are you upset with them? Students, how in creation can you love these guys when... You show up on Sunday morning just in time for the service and you're out. There's no connection. Let us help you get connected with the body at Grace Community Church so that you can not only be an integral part, but, but, but get in the middle of this lab that God has designed for the, for the, for the class. I mean, this is where the application takes place in our relationships with one another. Well, last week our text in 1 Peter told us that God judges the sins of His children, not just at the judgment seat of Christ, but here and now. And I referred to 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul told the church members at Corinth that some of them were sick and and some have even died because of their sins. And as I mentioned last week, I don't know when it's been since I've talked about this judgment apart from from communion, but, but it's very clear in Scripture that God has expectations of us and there are consequences if we fail to allow His grace to lead us in that direction. Now, you may think that some of the Corinthians were guilty of the big sins, you know, the marquee sins of, of maybe murder or theft or adultery. But that wasn't the case. They had been judged because they had made a mockery of the Lord's body, both at the table where they got drunk and in communion with the saints when when the rich who had food would refuse to feed the poor because they said, well, clearly God has blessed me because I'm wealthy and clearly He has judged you. Some sin is in your life because you're poor. Now, I mean... That's what specifically happened. And, and he killed, he, God killed some of them for it. I don't know how we apply that to one another, but I, I would say this. It's a dangerous thing to mistreat your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a serious thing. And this morning, as we come to this table, Jim McLaughlin is going to lead us in just a few moments in communion. But before we do, before before he comes, 
Let's just take a few moments with this, these verses on the screen about our love for one another. And just ask the Lord to show you, how am I doing? You can look at these, you can close your eyes and pray, but just spend some time asking God to give you a love for the brothers and sisters in this body. The kind of love that Jesus had for us, a sacrificing love, and a love that was shown even in the greatest moments of suffering. Imagine, imagine God the Father having turned His back on the Son and the Son absorbing our sins, looking down and saying, Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And for saying, John, take care of my mother. She's your mother now. He was always thinking about other people, even in the midst of his of, of, of suffering that is well beyond any, our ability to comprehend. So ask God to do that. And if the Holy Spirit convicts you, then confess your sin and repent right there and say, God, let me walk out of this place loving like you've called me to love.